Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. More than 30,000 women leave the military each year, and there are 2 million women veterans in the U.S. and Puerto Rico, according to the Department of Veteran Affairs. Women transitioning from active duty to civilian life face unique challenges, including but not limited to a lack of community with fellow female veterans, lack of childcare assistance for single mothers, and financial instability. While many of these issues are not gender specific, many women veterans say the lack of gender specific care, privacy, and equitable facilities can be barriers to seeking treatment. Kate Watson, founder and CEO of Your Next Stage, joins today's show to discuss the challenges that women veterans face and how Your Next Stage plans to bridge that gap. Your Next Stage wants to create a nationwide network of near-based women-centric service centers offering hands-on support such as community building events, coaching, education and training, a referral network, and much more. Kate shares her insight on this topic and discusses next steps for Your Next Stage, as well as how you can get involved. Whether you're a female service member or veteran or not, I encourage you to listen to this episode to learn more about this topic and to hear Kate discuss your next stage. If you have any questions about this interview or ideas for a future topic, I'd love to hear from you. Please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Good morning, Kate. Thanks so much for joining me today. Good morning, Megan. I had the privilege to talk to you last week about Your Next Stage, which is just an awesome startup company. We've not had anyone like this on the podcast before, and it kind of helped me realize that it's a gap that we really haven't talked about. And so I'm excited to have you here to talk about it. You're so passionate about what you do, so I'm looking forward to having you share that with our listeners. And you know, before we get into all the cool stuff that you're doing right now, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Uh, born and raised, a very nice Midwesterner, um, <laughs> and I've lived on the East Coast for 35 years, something like that, so for more than half of my life. I'm a graduate, and this is really ancient history, I'm a graduate of the University of Iowa and of uh, Rutgers. I have a master's degree in public policy, and that and a dollar will get you absolutely nowhere. I do policy, not politics. <laughs> um <laughs> I have had a really diverse and fascinating career. It's very much been opportunity and self-driven. My passion is truly public policy and public programs. I'm one of those um, servant leaders, as I guess what we're called. Uh, I have meandered my way through both, through all sectors of the economy, public, private, and nonprofit. Uh, I've learned the most about myself, and for those who are young and still learning, I learned the most about my capabilities in the nonprofit sector, where you are challenged to accomplish everything with absolutely nothing. Um, I learned some of my greatest skill sets in government. I'm probably the only person you will ever interview, Megan, that would tell you my favorite job was at the DMV. Yes, I do mean the Department of Motor Vehicles. <laughs> I was very, very, in the younger years of my life, to sit very close to the top of the organization and work with people who understood that I don't operate well in a box and that if they gave me a challenge and um, allowed me to maintain a relationship, I could take them to the stars. And it was wonderful and fun. And then I went to the private sector where the skills I had developed, very high level skills I had developed in state government were honed and um, refined. So I'm I'm a dream chaser. I'm a problem solver. And um, virtually everything in my life has brought me to where I am now. Mm -hmm. And all those things that you just described kind of show why you're perfect for what you're doing now. So you know, with your next stage. I, I definitely want to talk a little bit more about that. But before we get into it, what is your connection to the military? Because most people that I interview on this show are veterans. Um, there have been a handful that are not. But if you could just tell a little bit about your connection to the military, and then we'll get into your next stage. I'm happy to. Um, and here's to those who are not. Um, we bring, I think we bring something very different to the party. Um, and sometimes it's difficult to get our, our military brothers and sisters to understand that we do bring 
value add to the party. I am, and this is going to tell you roughly how old I am, the daughter and the niece of World War II veterans, Army and Marine Corps. Um, I was born <laughs> singing the halls of Montezuma. So when my son decided to join the Marine Corps, that was his Mother's Day gift to me one year, I went, oh my God, no, no. <laughs> that said, my son is an officer in the Marine Corps, and I could not be more proud of him and more proud of his wife. Uh, military spouses have an unbelievable time, and they're doing it well. It was there, mm -hmm. um, as he went through officer's candidate school, I raised my kids in New Jersey. So it was easy enough to get to Quantico when we were invited to observe and to witness some of the amazing people he was being groomed with, trained by. Um, that's where I ran into some power women that forever, truly those young women, I'd have to ask my son for their names again. But meeting them changed the trajectory of my life. So That's pretty you know. cool. I mean, how many people can you say that about? And also, actually, I don't think I even asked you this, Kate, when we initially talked. Um, since you since you don't remember their names, you probably have not talked to them since. It would be interesting to, you know, get back in touch with them and kind of tell them all about what you're doing and how they inspired you to do it. I would love to do that. And when my son can give me their names, um, we could do that. And we could do it on a podcast. Yeah. Um, oh, know, for sure. Yes, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I keep his identity relatively close at hand because he is not responsible for his mother. And I would not want to do anything <laughs> that in any way um, put him <laughs> on the defensive of saying, yes, she's my mother and I love her. But um, so we keep our lives separated as far as that goes. He knows what I'm up to. His wife knows what I'm up to. And they are fully behind me. And I just keep them in private. So, yeah. Bottom so, line, though, um, okay. I'm sorry. It was that officer. Go ahead. No, go ahead. It was that officer candidate school introduction to some of the most honestly, stunningly beautiful kick butt females. Um, I, I guess I've been I've been surrounded by brilliant women and brilliant men most of my life, but those women and my son's accolades for them um, truly changed the trajectory of my life. Mm hmm. That's great. And you know, the cool thing about this is, um, you know, with the military, I, I want to say the most recent demographics, and you might be able to correct me here, is it 17% women or is it less than that? It's going up. Um, you have to, you're probably looking at active duty, but if you looked at, at active duty guard and reserve, it's closer to 20%. Okay. All, Very good. All three elements. Roughly just under 20% about now. Um, and they're roughly. Well, where I was going. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say where I was going with that was just I have to assume that majority of the people listening to this podcast are not women, just because, you know, most of the transitioning service members that we're working with, if our candidate pool is representative of the military, then majority will not be women. But I think that you know, what you're doing here and the story that you're going to share is just something that we can all get behind, regardless of your gender. It's something that, you know, we should all support. I hope so. I hope so, particularly when we look at the fact that we're in the 21st century and we're recording this right now. Um, mm -hmm. I have never viewed myself as a feminist. I consider myself more of an equalist, if that's a word. And that's a big part of why I do what I do. It would not surprise my son. I also have a daughter. So this is not to um, leave her out of the picture. I am, I am about supporting the equalization of all people. And sometimes that means mm -hmm. you have to develop support systems for those who are in the minority. And in mm -hmm. this particular case, yeah. The clearest minority in the military is women. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Kate, you talked about those women that you had met through your son that 
changed your life and made you decide to pursue this next venture. So talking about your next stage, I want to get into, um, you know, you, you kind of shared the why it was founded in terms of, you know, you saw these women who were awesome and you felt that they were underrepresented. So if you could talk a little bit more about, you know, why you wanted to found it, even including some of the statistics, you shared some statistics with me on the phone when we talked last time, um, or even stories that you heard, you know, through your son or just through your own research that reinforced that this was something that you wanted to do. Okay. All right. First, let me be really, really clear. Um, one of the challenges of bringing up a nonprofit to support people who are, um, in my mind and in the mind, they should be in the minds of all Americans, real superstars, is these women are not victims. This is not a nonprofit that is treating a cadre of victims. We are treating women who wore the uniform. Um, and that comes with its own set of challenges. I'm going to read something to you because it's the luxury of being uh, sort of on the outside and a researcher. I'm going to give you the words of Andrea Goldstein, who is currently the senior policy advisor for the Women Veterans Task Force in the House. And it sort of does a great job of describing the big picture challenge. Andrea wrote, Service women are acutely aware of their visibility as a minority while in uniform and their invisibility as veterans. To be a woman in the military is to live with coexisting identities that are dissonant with conventional gender roles. It is to live with the greatest empowerment and to feel isolated, invisible, and misunderstood, both by the institutions in which one serves and by the society whose constitution one is born to protect. It is why when many women leave the military, they choose not to self-identify as veterans. That dichotomy of highly visible and then invisible is a big part of why women have unique challenges when they leave the service. What I can say is, and I think the stories I have gathered and read and participated in tell more than statistics. I had the opportunity to do, to volunteer to do a workshop um, at a major U.S. base several years ago, um, which is one of those things that just fueled the passion. The passion was there, but this experience brought it home. We were working with 50 women who were preparing to leave the military. And those women were gathered in one room and reported to a woman that being surrounded by and in a room with 49 others the last time they could remember that happening was when they were at boot camp. They were so, I mean, they, they are so much the minority, and it very much depends on what they do, what their military occupational specialty is, but they are very much unique, you know. Um, and therefore, in the military, they stand out. They undergo a process, you know, seeking to belong and seeking to become one of, seeking not to diminish the capacity of the branch in which they serve, seeking to be soldier, sailor, airman, or marine. They they shift their, I'll call it gender identity, and apologize to the academicians that I work with that I am not more articulate with their words. Um, but you put the woman aside when you put that uniform on. And in order to assimilate into that culture, you tend to adopt um, male traits. Um, we all behave like the people who we are surrounded by, particularly when we are doing that in isolation. So the young woman who may have walked in is what I will call a girly girl is not likely to stay a girly girl very long. Um, and then when they come out, okay, so that's the veteran, that's the woman going in where she is highly visible. When that same woman comes out, 
she literally has to work to reclaim her female identity. She has to work to redefine who she is. And if she joined at 17 or 18, she may not remember who that woman was and what that woman dreamed to be. She needs to be a new one, a different one. So that transformation process, that stepping into yet another identity is really difficult. All soldiers, sailors, Marines, and airmen who are transitioning have to figure out how to leave that military self behind and move into a civilian self. When you add to the fact that she's a woman, it gets really hard. Few non-numeric statistics. Female veterans are more likely than their male counterparts to be divorced. They are more likely to be enrolled in college or hold a college degree but they'll still learn less when they get out, which is very different than the military. Female veterans are more likely to report no income. They are more likely to require food stamps. They are more likely to live in poverty. They are more likely to have no health care insurance. And they are more likely to use only VA health care, but a lower rate than men. And that's really, really telling. Um, Americans assume that when members of the military leave DOD, Department of Defense, they move into the VA. Well, that's elective. It's not mandatory. People get to choose whether they use the support and services of the VA. Um, and many of those are extraordinary. It's huge institution um, and you know the the old organization development part of me would tell you that that is a part of why it is such a challenge it is so big and so diverse that it's difficult to get that behemoth to be as responsive as we would like and that behemoth like almost all others uh, that support warriors was designed with the majority in mind, and that was men. Um, it still is male. The most rapidly growing portion of the U.S. military is female. Women are enlisting in the military at a higher proportional rate than men are. So let's give you just a few more numbers. Women account for about 20% of the military. I don't know how many of your listeners are aware of what military sexual trauma is, and I don't want to pound that as a reason or an excuse. But 63% of all sexual assaults in the military are women. One in 16 women is subject to sexual violence or harassment. And that's only with a 30% reporting rate. That, that little statistic is really important for everybody. The 30% reporting rate is an indicator of the confidence level that members of the military have that the system will punish assaulters and protect victims. So within the military, there is not a high degree of confidence or faith that in reporting assault, whether you're male or female, that the outcome of reporting that result, that assault, will result in punishment of the perpetrator. All too often, it ends up creating victims out of the victims. Let's jump to another subject. Where is that? You know, that that leads down a rabbit hole that is that can become all-consuming and is a real challenge for all veteran-serving organizations, particularly women veteran-serving organizations, not to dive so, so deeply down that hole that you don't see the other issues. Um, women are the most rapidly growing portion of the homeless veteran population. 
And you know what? They don't look like those Vietnam vets that we're accustomed to labeling on the streets as obviously that's a Vietnam vet because he wears a cap, he wears his colors, and he looks my age. They don't look like that. Uh, they may be driving in a van. They may be living in a car. They may be couch surfing with their children because they are more likely to be divorced. They are also more likely to be single parents. Right now, the last estimate I saw on the women veteran homeless population was 36,000 women. That number does not include how many of those women have children and how many of those children are also homeless. Women veterans are at least two and a half times more likely to commit suicide than civilian women. And I'm sure you've heard stories. I actually read a new statistic the other day that was terrifying. We typically talk about 22 veterans a day. And I read something that said 45 the other day. I cannot, I have not had that verified by another source. But the suicide rate is climbing. And women veterans are two and a half times more likely to commit suicide than their civilian counterparts. Here's the driver for your next stage, this next statistic. 71% of women veterans surveyed in a 2016-2017 survey reported that they have no affiliation with any veteran service organization. They're, they're not walking into BFW, American Legion Hall. They are not. Um, and, I, and this is not to disparage all of those. Many of those are great places and, have, and are working very hard to be inclusive. But there are still those smoky old cheap bar places that are not welcoming. Um, I can give you a little, yeah, a third of those women said they do not feel welcome. Here's another quote by Elaine. First name only. The first time I walked into a VFW, it took forever just to build up the courage to walk in. I walked in the door, and the guy behind the bar said, hey, no soliciting. He thought I was there to ask for money or to put up a sign, so I left. That was the last time I ever set foot in a VFW. And again, your next stage does not condemn any of these organizations particularly at the national level. Individual chapters are going to behave in whatever way they're allowed to. But our purpose at Your Next Stage is to be that woman to veteran service organization and the link to many, many others so that she has the safety net that was once afforded to men by VFW halls and American Legion halls. We want to be the, and, and different than those, those were social gathering entities and civil community gathering places where soldiers, sailors, Marines could enjoy the company of their peers, which is still critically important. Um, that opportunity for community is one of the foundational pieces of your next stage. Uh, we believe that there is value in that sort of unique space um, and therefore we are going to launch in hopefully a very big building in the city of Washington DC where there are about 72,000 women veterans within what I call the Washington area metro transit system footprint but different than the old-time BFW or American Legion we will be hosting, managing, orchestrating service, education, training, provision within those walls. We're going to be we're going to build a coffee house with kids. Mm -hmm. Well, Kate, just to interject here for a second, because going back to some of the statistics that you shared, those are eye-opening to me, and I have to assume that they would be to people that are listening to potentially even you know, women who are veterans, it might be eye-opening to them too because 
even though maybe they have experienced some of these things themselves, they still maybe don't know those statistics. And I'm really glad you shared those because it really, you know, puts it, it answers the question of why, why did you feel like, you know, this was something that was needed. And I think it's really great of you to say that you're not putting down any of the existing organizations either. You just want to add something new. I think even back to going back to when you said um, that you don't consider yourself a feminist, you're for, you know, equality. And I think that there are certain words that can be used and ideas that people, um, if they're not part of that group, you kind of get up in arms about it and get a little bit defensive. So not to get too, you know, um, controversial here or anything like that. But I, I like that you say that because I think that that kind of, you know, lets people let their guard down and say, okay, she's not attacking, you know, a group that I'm a part of or anything that I'm currently doing. She just wants to help this other group. And as you mentioned, these women, they're not victims. They're people who are, who served our country. You just want to help them, you know, with these services that are not as readily available to them and, you know, have them be more impactful for them as women than maybe some of the things that are out there already. That's absolutely true, Megan. <clears throat> I think one of the statements that I would make, and again, this comes from my public policy mindset, we are not here to condemn history. Um, America has stood up and embraced its vets time and time again. The wars we've been involved in most recently, since 2001, seem to be never-ending. Because we are now a volunteer military less than 1% of the eligible population is involved in the military. So, first of all, the, the understanding and the empathy that served our, served my father and my uncle so well, and my uncle did Korea. Then we hit Vietnam and one of the ugliest periods of American history. And now we're hitting 19, 18 years um, in various configurations of battle. And the forgotten, um, the lost element in that warrior coalition is women. They are strong, they are capable, they are not alone. And that if, if there are women out there listening to this right now, I think the most important thing I can tell you is if something I've said touched a nerve, you need to know that you are not alone. That no matter what your experiences were in the military, there are support systems out here. And we intend to be we're, we're going to pilot a model that we believe will be ultimately one of the most beneficial support design services for women vets. And that's not to disparage mm -hmm. anybody. We are conveners. We are taking advantage of the best of the best, putting them in a single place, as our pilot is, to allow women to access those services in a manner that's more convenient and more beneficial to them. Mm -hmm. We're not here. And yeah, we're not mentioned... Go ahead. I said, we're not here to replace anybody. We're here to bring the best of the best together in a woman-centric environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you've mentioned several times the pilot, so I do want to talk a little bit more about that in terms of, you know, what are the next steps for your next stage? And you have touched on this a little bit, but when we were on the phone last week, uh, you showed me a great visual, which obviously people cannot see on this podcast, so we'll just do our best to talk about it. Just, you know, in general, you know, what are some of the services that you're going to be offering to veterans? Um, you know, women veterans. So we could talk about that quickly because, like I said, you touched on it a little bit. And then just in terms of the next step, so what's beyond the pilot or even what does the pilot entail and then what's beyond that? I would love if you could share some of that information too. I'm happy to. Okay. <clears throat> I'm going to back up two steps. 
first of all, and again, to reiterate, for those, for those of you who are affiliated with veteran service providing organizations, we are not here to diminish their value. We are here to create a partnership that maximizes their access to women and women's access to them. Our mission is to build a holistic, high-touch high world-class support service where women are fully equipped and empowered to realize their military identity. Um, you don't have to wear the red, white, and blue flag. If every woman who ever served just put veteran on her LinkedIn profile, I would measure that as success. So what do we have to do to get her there? Um, let me also address one other thing on my way through this. There are people who have challenged us and said, men and women veterans need the same things. Fundamentally, that statement is an overstatement, but it's accurate. Human beings all need the same things. Food, shelter, opportunity, growth, um, good health, etc. The needs list isn't all that different. I would add needs to that list that are uniquely female. Um, I've yet to meet a man that is really struggling to get OBGYN services. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that's, that there are VAs where that is not available. They're coming up to speed, but they're not there yet. Um, so... There are things that women need that men don't. And I'm quite sure that there are things that men need that women don't. I'm not a man, so I can't address that. So what we need to do is create a holistic space. Again, it's my coffee house with kids. In there, and this just is sort of a running laundry list. There will be services provided that help these women identify not who the military told them that they were, not, not, um, not frame themselves around their jobs, but enable them to identify who they are to become, all right? That happens in a couple of ways. We are very, very um, committed to including life coaches. Uh, people who are specially trained, they are not psychologists, but they are trained to do the kind of intuitive and constructive questioning that helps their clients better understand who they are, what their happy spots are, what their hot triggers are, how to move forward in a planful way to frame that new identity that is there. Um, one of the biggest transitions for mem all members of the military is that they are trained from day one that they, as an individual, are not as critical as an individual as the team is. That team driver is what creates a cohesive, integrated military. And when they step out of that military, they have to leave that team value behind and become a strong, um, I will say self-promoting, not a good choice of words, but it's best I can come up with, self-promoting individual. Self-promotion in the military is absolutely not acceptable. So you've got to get through that. We believe that is helped by life coaching. Um, that, that decision of who you are will transfer through everything else you do in this place. We will be offering behavioral health, sometimes called mental health counseling, that is performed in a number of different clinical modalities. Not my job to discuss those modalities. I leave that up to the experts. I'm the convener. Workforce development. All right, once you've figured out how you are, who you are, uh, it is very likely that the resume that you walk out with, which was created in the transition assistance program in the military, talks about who you were, not who you are. It talks about what you did, not where you're going. 
So we are anticipating providing, hopefully, hands-on provided support that guides you through your resume, your cover letters, how to do interviewing well, to create a polished uh, next woman who can go get the right job. We are working on a system of what I call deployment. How do we move a woman who we've had in our hands, hopefully for a year to 18 months, ideally before she transitions, and that's a whole other subject. Um, how do we move her into the job market in the place where she wants to be? So we're working on developing partnerships that will facilitate the movement of veterans from point of transition to point of relocation. Again, we're going to deal in women's health. Women's health issues as a result of their military service are different than women's health issues for women who have not served in the military. I am not a military health expert. There are great ones at the VA and elsewhere. We will be partnering with them to provide medical services that are not necessarily not necessarily provided or not restricted to being provided in a regulated environment. Housing support. Uh, one of my biggest goals is to make sure that the women who are in the D.C. WMATA corridor, whether they transition here or they move here, are not counted among the, the homeless population. One of the biggest issues in housing veterans is that women veterans all too often come with children, and there are very few um, options in that world. Some of the best are in D.C., and we hope to be partnering with them. Uh, and when I say partner, that means a collaborative referral where it's an ongoing dialogue. We don't just dump women or shift her out. We're hanging on. Recreation and volunteering. There are great organizations out there that are doing wonderful, dynamic team and community building work like um, Team Red, White, and Blue, Mission Continues, um, the Travis Mannion Foundation, and more. They are huge um, assets to the veteran population. Uh, legal assistance. I'm certainly not an expert at this, but I happen to have been told <laughs> military law, particularly when people are going through the ugly things like divorce. I went through one of those on the civilian side. That was bad enough. Apparently, it's even tougher on the on the veteran side. And vets run into a lot of legal issues uh, and can't afford attorneys. So let's do it. Benefit support. Again, one leaves the military and has to choose to access benefits available through the VA. Some 60% of all service members transitioning from the military don't even address that pending change until 60 days before they leave. The amount of learning and change and um, the metamorphosis from being in, uh, the, the, most people wouldn't consider the military a cocoon, but it is because it's a safe and structured place. The move from that to the wild, wild west, which is what the civilian world looks like, is big, and they're not prepared. Uh, mentoring. There are great mentoring organizations out there, Veterati, America's Corporate Partnerships. They tend to focus on career mentors. We hope to partner with them. But then there's, oh, maybe it's a buddy mentor. I haven't developed this that far. There are mentors who simply help you get through life. Um, as a civilian, I have a community that has been with me to get through the bumps um, all along the way. Women mm -hmm. veterans might be very well served by having those buddies also be peers, women who have worn the uniform. How do we get them to be in a structured or unstructured but, but successful partnership? Education and training. There is a disproportionate um, a 
an unfortunate trend that veterans who come out and can take advantage of the GI Bill and the other support systems that will facilitate advanced training and education, they come out without a plan. Remember that 60 days? How do you replan your life and everything in it in 60 days or less and leap from Earth to Mars? Um, unfortunately, lots of veterans fall into the, I've got the GI Bill, so I'm going to school. And they go to school without any future plan as to how they're going to use that. The GI Bill frequently does not fund that entire undergraduate degree. Um, it's careful use of benefits that have an intended long-term use. So we hope to put education coaches in there that will help you identify where you really need to go to get you to the right school um, that will provide you with the certifications, the verifications, the licensing, the whatever you need to be a part of your future, a part of a plan, not just a way to buy time until you figure out who you're going to be next. That's a very expensive mm -hmm. way to buy time with an unknown outcome. Uh, financial wellness, one of the key needs of women veterans, very high on their list. They come out um, with no plan. Those guaranteed paychecks that come no matter what you're doing and you're paid the same rate as the guy who's got the same title next to you, all of those knowns are gone. So literally helping them do budgets. And this is, you can't speak in generally generalizations or in general terms. Each woman is different. But their preparedness to deal in the civilian world um, and the preparedness to deal in the civilian world is very different. So we're hoping, mm -hmm. we're planning to provide guided support. That's what case management is about, how we might deal with an officer um, who simply doesn't want to do what she's done all of her life is going to be very different from somebody who was enlisted for six, eight years and is in the same position of, I don't know what I'm going to do. They bring different attitudes, different skill sets, different experiences, and our job is to be the coaches, to be the safety net as they move forward. And Kate, we talked about this on the phone last week, but it it really the the whole idea is a one stop shop. You're offering all these different services that you've discussed, and um, you know maybe someone doesn't need all of those services, but it's a pretty good bet that they'll at least need a few of them. And so you have all the experts there to help with that. Um, you know, it's really just anything you need, whether it's career, life, um, anything yep. like that. You guys have, which is great. Yep, it's, it's one stop, bring us your challenges and bring us your joy. Um, and I don't want this place to be maudlin and depressing. I'm very aware that the best coffee shops in the world have the best ambiance. Sometimes they offer great entertainment. Uh, I want this place to be uplifting. Uh, I want a place where women and their children uh, can come and laugh. It is women-centric. Mm -hmm. It does not mean women-exclusive. It's yeah. just a place. I think that's get... great. Well, you know, hey, I'm to big dreams. That's what God made me to do. And I'm, I'm hanging on to that word <laughs> by my teeth, <laughs> by my fingernails, which as a result of COVID are not nearly as lovely as they once were. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh, that is very relatable. <laughs> I think we all feel that way. Well, maybe not. Maybe not the men listening, but everybody else. <laughs> yeah. So, Kate, I know. Um, oh, go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. I, I I so want men to understand that this is not about. I've I've had men come at me on this vision in any number of ways. It is about recognizing that that amazingly strong woman who stood next to you in Iraq, Afghanistan, Fort Bragg, if she never deployed, um, she does have the same needs. But one of those needs is a sisterhood. Um, one of those needs is, is connecting with women who 
may have shared experiences. It doesn't mean that that is to the exclusion of men. Mm -hmm. She is still your battle buddy. And there are many women who aggress, not aggressively, um, who truly seek to maintain that full genderless band of uh, battle buddies. This is not to discourage that, but to give her the safe space at the time that she needs it. With the childcare, which is a key element, this is, we anticipate, and this is part of the next part, I guess, um, we will be providing childcare because we know that is one of the biggest obstacles to women getting, asking for, and getting the help they need. Mm-hmm. So, hey, coffee house, with yeah. you, bring your bag lunch, <laughs> bring the babies, bring your bag lunch, bring the babies. Honestly, I say if they want to watch Oprah on TV and there's three women there and six kids in childcare and they're having coffee and lunch and everybody's safe and after Oprah, they each go to their respective appointments, I don't care. What I mm-hmm. care is that, they that safe space together where they can access support services that their case manager may know they will benefit from, but I'm not going to put them in a cattle slot and make them go. Right. I just want it to be available. You know, pretended, this is probably a terrible analogy, but y'all go to a mall and you intend to go in and buy one thing, and by the time you've walked through the mall, you realize that you truly wanted or needed X number of other things. If I can make that kind of an environment where it's okay, it is designed to entice your access to support, I'm all in. And, you know, you've mentioned the concept of a coffee house. And so, you know, I know that that's kind of where you're seeing this go in terms of the pilot that you're going to be launching in Washington, D.C. So... I believe you may have told me on the phone that, you know, it has been in light of everything with COVID and um, like there have been a few things that have been, you know, maybe slowed down to where you would have liked them to see by now. But do you have in terms of, you know, your expansion and next steps, do you have any kind of timeline on it yet? Or do you just want our listeners to, you know, follow along and maybe, you know, keep in touch with you that way and see? Follow along, contribute, get in touch with us. Um, We are growing. Uh, we our board is strengthening. I have done nonprofits for most of my life. This is the craziest thing I've ever done, which is to launch one. My advice to all of you entrepreneurs who think you want to launch a nonprofit: bring deep pockets because it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are strengthening our board. Uh, we are in, before COVID, we were in very preliminary conversations with some people who I will not devote because they were very pre- preliminary conversations. We've done our research and we strongly believe that DC is the right place to launch this women-centric collaborative. Um, we are, so we're doing, doing things on multiple fronts. Number one, priority number one is to launch this pilot to put all of these partners under one roof in an orchestrated, collaboratively managed fashion to open the doors, this is my dream, my board may direct otherwise, to open the doors to a fully integrated network of services uh, on a date to be determined in the future. Veterans Day happens to be one of my favorites. Uh, it won't be this year. It, it, I'm, I might have a significant birthday coming up, and I've agreed to stay an age younger than that for as long as it takes. <laughs> I'm going to stay in a whole week. So we'll go on, but I'm going to be frozen in time. Um, we Okay, what's going on right now that I think is really, really, really awesome, and this is for all of you out there, wherever you live, We have developed a partnership 
with the University of Alabama Center for Program Evaluation. The University of Alabama uh, Center for Program Evaluation is in the process of developing, in partnership with us, a needs, a women veterans needs assessment that will be a quantitative evaluation and it will be nationwide. So for those of you who have access to, we want, I need every distribution outlet I can possibly find we will be reaching out to every veterans organization, and this is my part of it. My job is to get this survey distributed in as broad a manner as possible. It is an IRB, which is um, a research board approved study. I don't get to design it. I don't get to evaluate it. I only get to distribute it. And it will tell us, ultimately, if we get it distributed the right way, what needs women veterans have where they live. We will be able to ultimately break it down by zip code. Mm -hmm. That tells me what women veterans need. Um, they're designing it. They're designing it knowing all these academic things that they know. And I have total faith and trust in Carl Hamner and Kate Hendricks-Thomas, who are the leads. Um, I couldn't have better people. But this is the first, as far as we know, and somebody can contradict me, I don't know everything. This is the first ever nationwide needs assessment of women veterans. That is an IRB, academically approved, look at the lives of women veterans. Where are they? What do they need? I'll take a quick step sideways. Again, all veterans need, have very common needs. Again, women have some needs that men don't, and men probably have women needs that women don't. But to take a hard look at where they are and what they need, um, and my goal is to get huge distribution to get to women who do not self-identify as veterans. I need to know what the needs are of the 40 to 50% of the female veteran population that does not routinely use the VA. Mm -hmm. The only that we can make right now, and God bless them for trying, and they continue to try, is what the VA sees. We want to see what really is. And that means I need to get, you know, oh, God bless Congress. They're going to hate me. But I need to get into every congressional office to say, what about the women veterans who live in your district? Will you help us find out what they need? And I happen to think Washington, D.C. is one of the coolest cities I've ever lived in, and their support. Um, of veterans is truly extraordinary. They get it. Mm -hmm. They own it. It's process. definitely a great place to launch the program for sure. It sounds like a great fit. It's a little scary because it's a little bit more visible. I'd much rather be mm -hmm. a little under the tent, but um, we know that to do this, we need high densities. We, we know a number of deciding factors. That's part of my prior life. So I understand what it takes um, to do network demand that I've done. One of those skills that got pulled out of God knows why I was doing that work, but now I know why I know, know how to do network development and analysis. So the needs assessment is where we are. I'm super excited about that. I could not be happier than to have University of Alabama, Carl and Kate as partners. Everybody needs mm -hmm. to know that your next stage's responsibility is to help on the distribution of that. I don't get to color the colors, but I get to get it out there. Um, yes, we're going after bricks and mortar. We are going after bricks and mortar in Washington, D.C. We have a site in mind. There's nothing that's blocking us into that, and that land lord is 
private. Um, our goal is to test the pilot and analyze the crap out of it. I am of an age that it's not in my best interest or in the interest of anybody that I work with or serve to create a mistake. Therefore, everything we do is going to be subject to any level of scrutiny. If somebody thinks we're doing something wrong, come and tell me. Show me how to do it better. Mm -hmm. Show me your stuff. Um, simultaneously, I am in the process of developing what will probably not be as good as I would like it to be, but a directory of women veterans serving organizations around the country. Because you know what? The women may transition here or she may be a veteran here, but she may pick up and move. And I would like to make sure that the Women Veterans Network, of which your next stage is a part, we don't own it any more than we own a vet. We don't. But we want to make sure that she has positive touch points everywhere we possibly can. If the model proves to be as effective as we believe it will be because it's high touch, um, it's a high touch wraparound one stop. If the model produces what we think it will, then I'll go to the wall to work with every woman serving institution in this country to create more models. I don't need to name your next mm -hmm. day. If that becomes a value marker, great. It's not important to me. Um, I've already got one mm -hmm. partner in Texas that I've made a commitment to, and I have a partner in Colorado. I just hope I'm around long enough to see all of these things. You're young, Megan. I will I'll turn to Jody and this dream over to uh, over to everybody. Yeah. I just have to see it happen. Well, I want women to have a safety net. It's awesome, and Kate, you've done so much already, and like I said, you can tell how passionate you are, and that really comes through. So, you know, in the interest of time, obviously, you know, we don't have all day, although I know we could, you know, talk for so much longer about all of this, and I would definitely love to have you back on the show, you know, just for updates and as things get going, but in the meantime, you know, as we wrap this up, for listeners who want to get involved or just follow your journey. Is there anywhere that is best for them to do that? Is it, you know, your website, social media, or um, just get in contact with you personally? All right. Um, let's stick with website, <laughs> Facebook. Let's stick with social media. When you get to the website, there is an info button. Drop me a note. And, okay, it's actually a branding glitch, but it works. We are your next. N-E-X, not N-E-X-T. We are the nexus between where you were and where you're going. So your next stage is all one word, Y-O-U-R-N-E-X-S-T-A-G-E dot org. Go there. Find us on Facebook. Um, my Twitter account is probably more personal, um, <laughs> but it's there. I'm transparent. And uh, that's sort of where it goes. And I think one, if I can leave all women who are listening to this, a friend of mine is, is a retired major general. She commanded a group of transitioning service women when I was at that 50 women event. And her, her command was, you will ask for help. And you will learn that you are absolutely not alone. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great way to end it. And I really appreciate, you know, getting in touch with you and all of this. I'm so looking forward to having you back on. And I would encourage everyone, regardless of, you know, male veteran, female veteran, employer, anyone who comes across this to definitely go check you out. And, and I welcome them. And uh, we are looking for help in all ways, shapes, or forms. This kind of one-armed paper hanger would love the contribution of your expertise, your time, and of course, your money. Sounds good, Kate. Thank you so much for joining me and we will be in touch. Thank you, Megan. Thank you for a wonderful conversation. Have a good day. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have any feedback, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Our goal is to help all military job seekers through their transition and beyond. So make sure you share our show with your friends. See you next time.